The Sour Hour is meant for the serious brewer. The Sour Hour may contain some seriously funkified content. The Sour Hour is not for the faint of heart. So exercise some damn discretion, would you please? Sheesh. And now, here's the Sour Hour with Jay Goodwin. And we're back. Kind of. <laughs> we're struggling today. Oh, my God. It's that time. We're back on the Sour Hour and the Brewing Network. It's been a little while for us, but for you, probably, well, I guess it has still been a little while. There was a little, I wasn't supposed to mention this, but there was a a little gap in uploading the shows, but our, our last ones came up, and that was the uh, beginning of October, and here we are at the end of November, so it's, it's good to be back. It feels is. good to be back. Yeah, it's been yeah. a long time since we were in the studio. Yeah, because our last show was uh, remote. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's good to be back. Uh, that last show, well, let me just do my whole thing at the top. Okay. We can get into that. <laughs> you can tell I'm, I'm rusty. Uh, I'm your host, Jay, Sour Hour Brewing Network, the Brewing Network Studios in downtown Concord. This is still running, this intro music. Have yeah. you usually got this long? I usually give you a little bit underneath. It's like, uh, it'd be like if you went through your life with sort of a little theme music in the background. I like that. You're, yeah. It's just cooler that I'm way. I'm just on high alert because during the last show, now this is all coming back to me. Yeah, yeah. Justin was, uh, you know, helping with the, the producing mm-hmm. and he, he ran, he just like ran the song like forever, <laughs> like super loud. And I was like, yeah, can we get this? Like, yeah. what's can going on here? Down, please? Yeah, he has, we have a little different timing as board operators go. And it's not, you know, it's probably not wrong or anything. I'm just like, no, I'm no, used to his you. No, his is wrong. His is wrong. I'm used to you. Yeah, okay. We've hit our rhythm, obviously, oh, as you can tell by the top of the show. Clearly. But yeah, I like what we do. I don't like Justin's style. <laughs> yeah. Just for the, the record, in case we can, yeah. I like what I do, too. So yeah. Good. <laughs> so, yeah, that's Scott. Hey, Scott. Hey, Jay. And Bevo in the house, too. She said she was going to have her headphones on. Let's test and see. Turn and see. Hello. Great, Hello. great conversation. Hi. <laughs> Good. Danica's back there too. She, but she doesn't have to. I asked her if she wanted to. I assume kind of hiding back there. Yeah. Well, I assumed you wouldn't be here, Beef. So I was like, Hey, Danica, you want to do the camera? And she just sort of raised an eyebrow and took a heavy breath in and breath out. And I was like, Okay, I guess that's a no. But it, Beef's here, so it's all good. Well, get a beer, Danica. Oh, look there. <sighs> oh, I thought that was a sound drop. <laughs> Oh, so speaking of beer, yeah, you know, I had a, there's a rare barrel, a couple of rare barrel beers on here, and I had the... Um, oh, Don't know God. where you're talking about, Yeah. okay. Okay, well, I'll, I'll leave it up to <laughs> you guys to figure out where it is. So, you know where we are. Yeah, yeah. I had, so I had a Cosmic Dust, that's a, a golden sour with hibiscus. It blew me away because it was, it's very... Unlike rare barrel beers, it's, uh, the acidity level is quite a bit lower. Really different. Like, okay, well, whoa, a, but now, now, it's like a new this, generation. Is a, this is a theme, though, of a lot of the beers we've done recently, and we're, we're certainly going for that. But I think, you know, the the theme is becoming a trend now, you know? You have you you need a new baseline for. I must, yeah. And I thought I, thought I had one because uh, we. Is, are you saying this is even. 
even more than the recent trend? I think so. Okay. I, by an I order of magnitude, at least to my palate, it was. I we really, I was like, whoa, this you're, is. You're the, getting me a little. I should go out and check and see if it's a little, a little bit sour at least. Uh, well, it is. <laughs> it is a little bit sour, and maybe, maybe some of the uh, the issue is my expectations because I'm I'm used to a certain whatever from the rare barrel. But mm-hmm. man, it really was like, wow, this is. A, it felt like a new generation. Like this, a page has been turned. Great, yeah, in I a think, good way. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I think the yeah. For for us, I mean, it is kind of it's it's strange for us sometimes because the beer comes out so much after, or it's enjoyed by people so much after we have been working on it. Oh, do you have it here? Okay. Oh no, that's no. This is not. Oh, your this beer. is the other Sorry, beer. Okay. Beer. So much after we work on it, and uh, so for for us at the Rare Bro, we're we're used to this new level, and it's kind of our new baseline, and we've we've done a lot to. Uh, control our acidity and you can go back to the last uh, rare barrel show to learn more about that i won't go into too much detail on this one but uh yeah check it out and um yeah we're happy with the way things are going also happy about tonight's guest from breakside brewery mr ben edmonds excellent brewer he just cleaned up at gabf got all of the medals I think he left a few for some other people, but got a whole lot of them. And uh, we'll ask him about uh, what's going on up at Breakside and learn about his sour beer process. If you want to get involved in that, call us, as you often do, 888-41-BEER. You can join us in the chat. You can send us feedback. That's how you like to talk to us. So that's cool, too, I guess. <laughs> Scott at thebrewingnetwork.com or Jay at thebrewingnetwork.com. If you email Scott, it goes to Scott, and if you email Jay, it goes to Jay, just to clarify. Pause for laughter. <laughs> That's a good co-host right there. Yeah, yeah not a funny joke, but you give me, you give me, you got my back. <laughs> Whatever you need, good one. Watch us on some of our old cameras, and then a new thing that's right there. Yeah, what is beef? that? You running a new setup back there? What's the story? What is this red one? It's called a Mevo. Mevo. I can zoom in on your face, Jay. Why, why would you want to do that? I'm really Mevo. excited. Is this your own little uh, like Kickstarter no, thing? Like this BN's is what you've called your setup. project? We're trying to be grown-ups, have a fancy multi-dimensional camera. Is it 3D? Has facial recognition. Whoa, is that right? Really? Oh, does yeah. it move? I don't have that. I saw that on the camera yesterday. I don't have that feature set up, but yes. Oh, it does. Oh, yeah. that's pretty cool. It's like a cylindrical thing about the size of like an Amazon Echo sitting on the desk here. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little small. creepy, <laughs> but it's fine. It's, it's got just, a red light. Yeah, only it, when it's recording. It's, just, it's looking. It's looking at me in a weird way. Yeah, so. I like it when things are just how. Like if if I was looking at a bomb, I would expect a big digital red readout of the counting down of the time. Mm. A camera that is recording should have a red light. I like it when things are just as they should be. Ah, right. so you don't like these blue ones here? No, and I when don't I understand click what that means. Off of him, like so, and I put it on you, Scott. Whoa. Whoa, it's green now. Now it's no longer recording Jay's face. Where, I don't understand. So, oh, wait, now the old camera's on now? The now? Is that it? blue camera is on your face. Okay. Awesome. We're going to go back to Jay. Okay. Why? <laughs> we, we almost look exactly the same. Can Just you pause to apologize to all the podcast <laughs> listeners at this point. Yeah, sorry. Um, sorry. But, uh, yeah, you could also not enjoy the video by listening live. The Brewing Network <laughs> app, search BM Mobile on your mobile devices. Subscribe to our show, please. And also, we appreciate any feedback you leave us on iTunes or wherever you can get this podcast. And Scott told me before the show that even though we kind of fizzled out on this a little bit, although I still like the idea, well, we, only we do- have a song, a reviewer of the week we do. And we only we only didn't do it for the live shows in Fort Collins because I didn't have my my board with me. Okay, so it's still going. We're getting yeah. some. Okay, yeah. well then we're still going. 
to scratch that lack of enthusiasm. Indeed. So this <laughs> is for, it's a five-star review entitled White Russians and Encouragement by Blargs. Blarg says, I had almost given up on my BN podcast journey after painstakingly listening to an episode of The Session. I gave, <laughs> I gave the network another chance, and wow, this is such a great podcast. Jay and Scott with three Ts really have a knack for conveying a pretty dang complex topic. I just finished all 64, as of the time of this writing, episodes, and I'm starting over tomorrow. Since I've started listening, I've gained so much more confidence in brewing my sour beer and have applied numerous techniques I learned here. Hopefully, I will be able to catch the show live, which you can over at the Brewing Network's webpage or their app. He writes that, so (laughs) thank you, Blarts, for doing some of our dirty work. If you are looking for great conversations, interesting beer names, and further confidence in your sour brewing, look no further than the Sour Hour. Thanks, guys. P.S., Check out the track Transitions by L1011. Lots of cool options for your transitions and re-intro. So this is and it's L- actually called Transitions. 1011. The song is called Transitions. It's, it's a long song. It's like a 10-minute-plus uh, song. And it, it, I, I kind of scanned through it, and it has several different... It's, it's like four songs in one, basically. And it's a lot of sort of instrumental-y stuff. Some interesting All right, well, let's let, it, let's let it breathe. I need to listen. song yeah it's like halfway through that same song and then here's toward the end of it i like this very much i do too it's a cool one i'll bet you i can pick out a little part of it that would make a perfect uh, that's great i love that song all right so we'll uh we will uh start incorporating some l1011 into uh the show yeah i give that song five stars back thank you (laughs) thanks for the review blargs 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 with a z cool okay what else? Oh, here the beer oh, in our yeah, glass yeah, yeah, yeah. is from. I have a ton of beer from you guys. Uh, I will I'll not be you, able to get. As yes, thank you so much. We'll not be able to get to everything in this show uh, just because we have uh, Ben from uh, Breakside and we have a bunch of his beer. It's okay, uh, Scott's home fridge was running low. So <laughs> yeah, thank you for restocking it, everyone. This is Little Fish Brewing Company. Sean from Little Fish sending a bunch of his awesome looking beers. This beer's ten percent. Is it? Is I even that's what it says on the back. It's it. a nice label. Indeed, this is no. It, this is a. Oh, yeah, you're right. Sorry, 10%. So it's a 67% brown sour rye in second-use bourbon barrels. It's 22% bourbon barrel-aged strong dark ale and then 11% bourbon barrel-aged sour red ale with apricots. Mm. A little three-way blend. Yeah. Um, and, uh, the, yeah, the labels from a Little Fish look awesome. And uh, the beer is tasting great. This is a great beer, isn't it? Where are they at? Yeah, uh, I really like the beer. It's awesome. They're in Athens, Ohio. And uh, there's a bunch more where these came from. So uh, next week at the special little event at uh, the Rare Barrel, I'll bring some of these down. Very good beer. And what's the name of that again? Break. Uh... This is uh, Breakman's Cuvée. Very good. Yeah. Little Fish Brewing Company. Great beer. Can't wait to have more of it. Thank you, Sean, for the awesome care package. And uh, there'll be more beer coming up in the show that I brought in for Jay and I to try. And again, thanks, everyone, for all these care packages, man. They're awesome. Yes. Thank you all very much. Let's see what we should do next. Should we do your thing first, or... I think we should. Okay, I was going to read an email from a listener. 
It's actually not even really a question. It's just kind of a story. So this is from Ed Hitchcock. This is back from June. Ed says, hey, guys, I'm a listener from Toronto. Really enjoying the show. Discovered it a couple months ago and have been listening to the most recent episodes as well as catching up on older ones. I love sour beers, and I am lucky enough to live in a city with several small breweries that produce excellent sours. And as a home brewer with a biology background, it's a whole exciting world to explore. I'm working my way through uh, Tons Meyer's book as well. That's American Sour Beers. Mm-hmm. Uh, learning a lot, and uh, that will definitely help me up my game. But the real reason I'm writing today is to to tell you a story I think you'll appreciate since it's a story about homebrewed Lambic. Now, he has a little asterisk next to Lambic, and if you look at the bottom, it says, I know technically I can't call it a Lambic, so mentally insert method goose or Lambic style or pseudo-Lambic, whatever uh-huh. you want. So uh, he said, more or less following Gennard's book. What is that? Book about Lambic. Oh, okay. <laughs> I made a wort of uh, pale malt, unmalted wheat, and H. Hallertower hops, and w- as was the recommendation at the time, I did a primary ferment using Y yeast 1056 before doing a secondary ferment with the Y yeast Lambic blend. My understanding at the time was that wood was necessary for proper growth uh, of the brett and bacteria, so I chopped a log of birch into kindling. I torched the exposed ends to sterilize them, but I left the fresh wood where it was split untouched, and then I tossed that in. After a while in a glass, I had to move. Sorry, in glass. I had to move. So I transferred the beer and the wood to a stainless corny keg, and I sealed it up. And here's where it gets interesting, he says. Life sometimes throws you curveballs. A year later, I moved to Europe. And when I moved back, I had young kids, and it was a while before I got back into homebrewing. When I did, I decided something had to be done with that keg that was sitting patiently under the stairs at my parents' place. Sound familiar, Jay? (laughs) Until I cracked it, it was kind of like Schrodinger's cat. I don't know that I reference. Don't know, I don't either. Uh, in that it existed. Danica, in, could you look that up? Yeah. Schrodinger's cat? S-C-H. Uh, okay. In that it existed in a superposition of states, both bad and good, and there was no way to know which it was until I opened it. Okay. So fortunately, it was still good, he said. Quite good, in fact. So I split the batch, and I bottled half straight and half after a re-fermentation with raspberries. Now, if you're following along, you will notice that some time has passed, but I, I've been somewhat cagey as to just how much time. He says, I brewed the beer in February of 1994. I bottled it in <laughs> In the summer of 2015, that's 21 and a half years later, my son was born a month after I brewed it, and it was legal. he was legal to drink in the U.S. by the time it was bottled. Oh Eight my. months later, the straight Lambic won best of show at a local competition Ooh. with about 100 entries. And six months after, the Frambois won a major award at a much larger competition. While it did not medal uh, in the best of show, it moved on to a side award sponsored by one of the local breweries as one of the top 10 beers from the greater Toronto area, as he said, a smaller field of merely 400 entries, merely, versus the full (laughs) competition of 600. And in that challenge, it won hands down. The award, called the Henderson Cup, was a cash prize, an opportunity to design and brew a beer on Henderson's 20-hectoliter system for one of their monthly special releases. Another asterisk, the collaboration beer could clearly not replicate a 22-year-old Frambois, so we didn't even try. What we made was a black IPA, but imagine like a dark chocolate New England IPA with fresh raspberries instead of dry hops. He said, now I want to barrel-age that. Wow. I, only ha- I only have a handful <laughs> of the Lambics left. Now, uh, almost two years in the bottle and 23 and a half years old. They are starting to get thin and lose some complexity, so I'm enjoying them before they fade away to nothing. Once they're gone, that's it. So I am learning as much as I can to make more sours uh, and enjoy and enter into more competitions. After all, I do have a reputation to unhold. He says, thanks. Keep up the great work. 
Ed. Unbelievable. Unreal, right? What a cool story. Unbelievable Ed. story. Ed. Very cool. So good. 21 and a half years. Can't imagine. <laughs> I don't think I've had. I, I, I don't think I've had, except for like my body. I don't think I've had anything for more than twenty-one <laughs> and a half years. I know, right? Like not a single thing. It's hard to keep things that long. That's unbelievable. Through multiple moves and wild. And, yeah. Wait. Wow. So, is there more Amazing. of that beer, or did he offer to send us? <laughs> That's what I was thinking at the end. <laughs> well, he said. I actually said I was like when I wrote him back. Uh, I said, "Hey, this. Let me. Can I read this on the show? This is amazing." And he said, "I would be honored." He said, "Heck, if you want to fly me down, I'll bring a few bottles." And <laughs> uh, let me try and talk to Justin and uh, see what's in the BN budget. Yeah. Actually, hey, Beeve, BN, Beeve's doing BN budgeting. Can we fly Ed Hitchcock down from Toronto so we can drink a few of his 23-year-old Lambic bottles? Beeve is nodding feverishly. Okay, yeah, That's perfect. That's a nod, yes, yes. Ed, I'll write you, I'll write you off the air. <laughs> okay. Should at least maybe even get that, uh, you know, I, I, and you know, you know what that yeast is, I mean, because you, you know, remember how you brewed it, but I, I can't believe that there's a, a vi- one viable cell in there, but if there is one viable cell... <laughs> You should have, you know, send it to a microbiologist. Maybe there's someone listening that could write us who might be interested in, like, getting something out of that bottle. That'd be kind of cool as well, you know? Just something that can survive that long and under sort of strange conditions. Yeah. One more thing. Before we're going to break, and then we're going to break. Yeah. Schrodinger's cat. A cat, a flask of poison, and a radioactive source are placed in a sealed box. This is a thought experiment, sometimes described as a paradox. (laughs) All from our friends from Wikipedia. If an internal monitor detects radioactivity, i.e. a single atom decaying, the flask is shattered, releasing the poison which kills the cat. (laughs) The Copenhagen... This is crazy. I don't know what this is. It's Wikipedia, and it's like a a paradox, and then I'm reading there's like different interpretations of this paradox. Right. I'm going to have to read this during the break. That's what I'll do. Let's tease it out. Okay. Unless Danica... Yeah. (laughs) You have more than right to say about it, Danica? No. No. Okay. (laughs) And then I just want to thank our, our friends over at the AHA and remind all you BN listeners that if you are not signed up for the AHA, join, but join through the Brewing Network website. Yes. That really helps us out. Yeah, so you want to sign up for a new membership or even renew your membership, you can click through the page, our page, I'll say, at the brewingnetwork.com or brewingnetwork.com. Either one. Either one's good. We're, we're on top of our shit like that. Offer is similar to last year, so you join the AHA, use our link with the offer code BNARMY17 and receive also two books for free from our friend Stan Aronimus, Brewing Local, and For Love for the Love of Hops. Awesome. And this is one of the smartest people I've met in brewing, and he does his research, he travels all over the place, talks to smart people, and puts it all into books so you don't have to. So get them for free, help out the BN. And join the AHA or renew your membership through the BN link on thebrewingnetwork.com. Indeed. And, you know, actually, even bnarmy.com redirects to the Brewing Network. Is that so right? So there you go. You can't forget it. BNarmy17 is the code. And That's make the code. sure you use it. Let, you know, let, let them know we sent you. All right. Let's take a MF break. Let's do it. We'll be right back on the Sour Hour. Hi. This is Ryan Whedon, the host of a new podcast called Branding Brews. Branding Brews is a show focused on marketing, branding, and design for the beer industry. I have spent over 14 years as a professional designer. As a host, I bring my knowledge to the show to interview other great beer professionals. Whether you're thinking about starting a brewery, already own a brewery, want to learn more about marketing beer, or you're a seasoned veteran, this show is for you. 
The show will cover topics such as rebranding a brewery, package and label design, crowdfunding, design, social media, plus much more related to promoting and creating a great beer brand. Make sure to check out the show along with useful show notes at brandingbrews.com. You can also subscribe to the Branding Brews podcast in iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Again, check us out at brandingbrews.com. This is Corey King from Side Project Brewing. You're listening to the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. If you want to drink some real sour beer, skip the rare barrel and come on over here, guys. Thank you, Corey. Always so nice. <laughs> We're back on the Sour Hour. His beer was better than yours that day, just so you know. It's a very hot day, and he had some good drinkable beer out there in the, the hot Palo, Paso Robles sun. Indeed. Uh, what are we doing? Uh, we're coming back, and we teased out a few things before the break. One is Schrodinger's... Is that, is, is that the name? Schrodinger? Schrodinger's cat? <clears throat> so, Danica has been doing... She's taking point on this research, and... I've never seen her brow more furrowed. Um, I, well, there's many the furrowed brows. Uh, but <laughs> as, as I understand it, and Danica, feel free to jump in and correct me. So, uh, our friend Ed, who had the 21-and-a-half-year-old beer dropped it in an email which was like the story was incredible but now that we've yeah. been talking about schrodinger's yeah. cat for three minutes i they're both equally incredible i i the, the cat is hurting my brain so as i understood it he was saying you know he, he didn't taste the keg for a long time and so two like two possibilities existed basically it was good or it was bad kind mm-hmm. of but until you taste the keg in like in theory or theoretical physics quantum some things superpositions superpositions that <laughs> both of those are they both exist in like this reality mm-hmm. and then by tasting it you are actually like causing basically one of those to exist and so the cat thing is like there's a cat in a box with like some bad stuff and until you check the box, it's both alive and dead at the same time. I see. Until you... Right. So your action of checking it makes it be just one instead of... It, w- it will exist in perpetuity in both conditions yes. unless you taste or check the box. So if you find a cave so remote, you can live forever because uh, no one will check on you. Right. That's what I get out no of that. No one can find out if you're alive or dead. Yes. Gotcha. Okay. That's enough cat talk. Understood. We... <laughs> Thanks, Danica. This is the first time I've ever actually understood <laughs> quantum physics in my life. This is great. Are we going to thank another one of our sponsors here? Yeah, sure. A brewing company, in fact? Yes, we is. So since the last show, and the last show we did have Lauren and Ted from New Belgium. We had uh, uh, Andy Parker from Avery and Gordon Chuck. And the reason those people are all related is because they all have breweries in Fort Collins. They do. And they came on the show at the you know HQ2 of the Brewing Network out in Fort Collins. Indeed. Which we, I think we teased out before. But we've also, you know, been to GABF, which was a great time, and it was great to see a lot of brewers and uh, home brewers and people who like to drink beer out there and uh, some old friends. And so thank you guys, those of you who came out and came by the Rare Barrel booth. You know, we we unfortunately, in the competition, did not uh, take home any hardware, but a lot of our friends did, as I mentioned before, 
Ben from Breakside, who we'll bring on in just a second, uh, took home a whole, a whole truckload of medals, and uh, we'll ask him how he did it. But one other brewery of interest that I was very closely following mm-hmm. did something as well, Scott. Let's play this. Speaking of acknowledgments, future 2017 GABF award-winning brewery, <laughs> Neshamini Creek Brewing. <laughs> Three-time Philly Beer Scene Magazine brewery. I, I want to be, like, at GABF and I'm just going to look around and be like, yeah. Oh, yeah. You also saw that they're going to win for Smoke Lager. There you go. They're going to win for Smoke Lager. Yeah, and, and what and happened? They won. They did. Four? Smoke Lager. They smoke did beer. Smoke Lager, right? Yeah. yeah. Great job, Neshamini Creek. Great job. Making me look awesome <laughs> and yourselves look even better. <laughs> I also said at one point in a different show I was listening to, because they had won before a bronze for Smoke Lager, and I actually said they won, and they won a bronze. Yes, they did. And I said bronze, but then I I messed it up because I said or any metal because I just want to give myself a little <laughs> bit more of a chance. <laughs> but they did win for bronze, and uh, man, I just can they send us some smoke lager? Yeah, like please. let's try this beer. That that's awesome. But uh, I was uh, <laughs> our ca- all all of our uh, the categories that we had entered had uh, had gone past, and uh, I was really thrilled not only to see a lot of my friends up there, but to see uh, the Shamity Creek go up and accept uh, another medal. For smoke beer, they're going to win for smoke lager. There you go. <laughs> so go visit them. They've got their renovated so tasting good. room. Check them out. NashamiCreekBrewing.com. Great job, everyone there. You should be very proud of your beer. And uh, yeah, that was great to see. Absolutely. And I haven't heard from Jeremy in a while from uh, Nishamini. Jeremy, send us some of your award-winning smoke lager, man. I want yeah, to taste it great. in the flesh. Yep. All right. Well, speaking of award-winning. I was running late today. We went a lot of goofball stuff from the first segment. We're keeping them up, so let's get right to it. Ben Edmonds, our great friend from Breakside Brewery. Ben, are you there? How are you doing, guys? Doing awesome. How are you? I'm great. I've been enjoying this very much. I've been reading a lot about Schrodinger's cat all of a sudden. <laughs> Had you ever heard that before? Yeah, but it's it's one of those opaque cultural references that I don't think I really understood, and I'm not sure I really get it better. But Jay's explanation was pretty like pretty convincing. That's how, that's what Jay does, man. He takes complex issues and he just sort of distills it, makes it down. Them really dumb. understandable. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're you're a step ahead of me. I'd never heard of it before. How, you explained how to live forever there. Well, yeah, I just thought of that. So, no one knows the meaning of life only here on the Sour Hour. <laughs> so, uh, Ben, thanks to you, thanks for coming on. Uh, you know, we've gotten to uh, know each other a little bit better over the last uh, months, or even up to a year or so, um, through our uh, involvement in trying to start this uh, Sour and Wild Ale Guild, which uh, we've talked about on the show uh, from time to time. We did a little uh, meet up there in in Denver, but. Uh, but beyond that, can you tell us a little bit about Breakside, what you do there, and uh, just kind of the, the overall beer philosophy of the brewery? Yeah, for sure. So we're um, I'm the I'm the head brewer, brewmaster of Breakside, and we are about an eight year old brewery. We have uh, here in Portland, Oregon. We have three locations. One is a production brewery, and then two are brew pubs, both of which have their own breweries on site. And between the three locations, we'll do about uh, 25,000 barrels this year. So we distribute pretty widely throughout the Northwest, Oregon, and Washington. Our main focus on the production side, of course, is uh, our hoppy beers, our IPAs, uh, including New England IPAs these days, since everyone's doing it. We may as well. Beyond that, we have always cast kind of a big tent approach to brewing, I like to call it, and that's 
to say that, you know, we consider ourselves generalists. We love doing sour beers. We love doing German-style lagers. We love doing barrel-aged strong ales and everything in between. And um, I got into craft beer originally as, because I love going to brew pubs and tasting a wide range of things. And that's something that I try and bring and push through our kind of brewing agenda year after year here. Awesome. And you mentioned, you know, you got into these styles by, by visiting brew pubs and kind of getting inspired. What, what was your kind of personal journey in to getting into a position like yours? Because I know a lot of people are are listening and exciting, excited to uh, to listen to you on the show. They've been fans of your beer like myself. And, uh, you know, maybe they want to be the next Ben Edmonds. How did, how did they get there? How did you get there? So I started I'm, – I'm a home brewer turned uh, pro for sure. I uh, started – I originally got into craft beer by way of um, kind of being just like loving to visit brew pubs. I loved going, I was a beer nerd, you know, I like loved just visiting local breweries, brew pubs when I was living in Colorado, when I was living in Connecticut. And I had a friend in Colorado who I started homebrewing with. I'd homebrewed a little bit before that in college, but not very, you know, seriously or with any kind of real focus. Um, but I was living in this beautiful mountain town about 100 miles west of Denver. And we would homebrew, you know, three times a week, brew five, 10, 15 gallons of beer a week. And uh, I, it just, something clicked there. I just really came to love the kind of creative element of designing beers, brewing beers, processing beers. And when I moved to Portland some years later, I kind of had it in the back of my mind that I wanted to get into the beer industry since, you know, in the same way where like, you're want to be, if you're an aspiring actor, I think you move to New York or LA. I think if you're an aspiring brewer, you move to Denver, San Diego, Portland, Bay Area, um, yeah. Bay Area, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I moved to Portland, and really it, it clicked with me. I kind of made the decided to take the plunge. I went to Siebel at that point, uh, came back, got a job brewing over a small brewery here in Portland that I think you guys mentioned on the Sour Hour before, uh, which is Upright Brewing. Actually, took interestingly. The uh, position that Sean White from Little Fish, who you just mentioned a wow. little while ago, oh. had before me. Oh, no kidding. Oh, very cool. Sean's a good buddy of mine, and his beers are really wonderful. So I'm glad that uh, – I feel like it's very cosmic that his beer was tasted on this show too because he's a great brewer. <laughs> wow, uh, crazy. That's awesome. That's cool. And uh, then met the folks who were planning to open Breakside. And um, they – after we sort of hit it off and after a little while, they often in position to be their opening pub brewer when we were just on a little – they were going to open with a small three-barrel system. Uh, we – from Premier Stainless down in San Diego, we got that. And I started – just brewing kind of a wide range of kind of funky and quirky beers at our pub, as well as some Northwest kind of standards. And from there, we've just grown uh, little by little. And now all of a sudden, we're a relatively large production brewery in the Northwest. But I just started as a home brewer turned brewing school grad turned uh, pub brewer turned production manager. Very cool. That's a, And that's a great journey. I love your... Uh your kind of analogy to actors going to New York or LA. And that, when that's the driving force for you, I mean, that, that's a, it's a big decision to make. And, uh, there, it's a big life change to, uh, to move yourself to, to Portland. But, uh, that, that's pretty incredible. That's, that, that was the driving force. And, you know, I think it's a pretty good piece of advice for a lot of the aspiring brewers out there. Not that I, I mean, you know, I think there's maybe more opportunities today with the, you know, explosion of, craft beer and craft brewery starting but uh yeah i mean if you're in a, a little rural town and the closest breweries you know 100 miles away or something like that 
you know, you can you can always get up and move to Portland. It's a great city. So. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, one of the pieces of advice I give to folks who come through come through town and are, you know first move to Portland, brew, whether they brewed elsewhere or just are even ask for aspiring to be brewers, is that you know it, it's a, it's an accessible industry. You know, and if you've set yourself up to be to, to land in in Berkeley or or Portland or Denver or somewhere else that's a hotbed for craft beer and there's a lot of job opportunities. It's a growing, exciting industry. If you, you know, you can find opportunities in it. It's not like there's a firewall in the way I think there was maybe 15 years ago when it, there were just very few positions that were opening up. There just weren't that many jobs in the industry, and now it's a real profession. Awesome. So, uh, Ben, we've got one of your beers open here. Uh, Carte Blanche. Carte Uh-oh. Blanche. It's very, very good. Can you tell us a little bit about this one? Yeah, so Carte Blanche is um, one of our... Uh, one of the beers in our series, I think uh, all the all four beers we sent you guys or three beers that you guys have in front of you, they're all part of our B-side series, which is blended uh, beers, all of which – so the whole idea is that all everything in that series is wood-aged, blended, and either sour or mixed culture, right? So there may be – there will be sack, there will be breath, there will be lacto, uh, some combination thereof. But the idea is that they're all kind of cuvee-style beers and – we try and really produce a wide range in it. You know, you never know. They're they're pretty diverse even within that series. So Carte Blanche is pretty gin forward. It's a, a beer that was predominantly a gin barrel aged double wit, blended with an oak aged, just kind of a more neutral oak aged sour wheat beer. Uh, and there's also a good bit of stainless steel Brett fermented. I guess you call it a Belgo American pale. Mm. And those are kind of the three component beers. I think it's a at this point, I feel like the, the citra character and the hop character has kind of diminished a little bit on that beer. It's been out for about a year now or eight months now. But the gin is really forward. So it's a really great expression, I think, of what we like to do with our gin barrel-aged beers. Well, and that gin barrel, it's making the, the hops that might have faded out seem more pronounced still. And when I first tried it, I didn't even catch the gin part. It just tasted like a dry hop beer. But now that you yeah. say that, now I'm picking up the gin really clearly, and it's, an ex- it's accentuating what's left of the hops and making them still seem really pronounced. Yeah, that's interesting. And always, too, I like to take Ben's perspective, uh, always to a brewer, especially one who's built this beer from the beginning, you can still, even though it's all blended together in this uh, B-side beer, it's you still see the individual components, and you also see what it was right when it came out. And, you know, I, I've had plenty of beers where we had flavors that were, you know, more intense in the beginning and then kind of fell off with time, but... To also build in, to your point, Scott, to build in some base flavors in there that are maybe not going to be as volatile as, you know, hops or some sort of uh, spice or fruit character that's going to go away with time. I think the gin barrel character is something that's going to really stick around for for a long, long time, obviously, at least a a year so far. All the gin barrels in question here are also either third or fourth fill barrels for us. Really? Yeah, I mean, to me, it's just it's the gift that keeps on giving, and I feel very fortunate that for us, we have access. There's a number of distilleries in Oregon who do um, oak aged gin, so that gin barrels are even a thing out here. Hmm. But we're able to access enough of these barrels. But at first, they're so strong. I mean, we use straight. We'll the first time we fill one of these barrels will often be a double IPA or something, just to t- something that can handle that level of botanical intensity. Hmm. And then from there, we kind of move it over to our um, sour and mixed culture program and, you know, farm. And 
by the time it's there, that imprint of the botanicals is still there, but it's a little bit more subdued. But yeah, they're 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 the, a strong and long-lasting character. Well, and of the different barrels you use, and I want to hear what they are. You know, whether it be wine, neutral, gin, whatever else. Would you say gin is the most like that? Where after you know the fourth run, it's still really pronounced. What is gin the most along those lines? For us, in our opinion, yeah. I mean, I don't think there's anything else that has that kind of long-lasting a trace all the way through. I mean, even even fourth, fifth, sixth fill, we still see this like distinctive juniper botanical. And these are, you know, I think uh, the OEC guys mentioned this on a previous show that these are for us oftentimes ransom barrels. They're Pinot Noir before their gin, mm-hmm. and there's a little Venice character and acidity to them that comes just from the barrel itself, even regardless of whatever culture we're using that persists through the beers. Yeah. Awesome. Maybe, uh, I don't know if you have an opinion on this, Ben, but maybe I'll just editorialize a little bit to your question, Scott, which is that it's really going to be dependent on the the gin barrel that you get. sounds like, you know, Ben is getting these really, you know, freshly emptied, locally sourced, you know, intense, intense character barrels. Um, But certainly you can get ones from all over that are, you know, a little more dried out or there's just a little less gin character in them. So I think you know, I wouldn't apply this to gin barrels across the board for maybe other brewers listening. But, you know, something that Ben mentioned is uh, or uh, touched on is that there's not a lot of barrel-aged gin being produced. Yeah, sure. So these are hard to come by. And, uh, yeah, you guys are very lucky because I think gin pairs extremely well with a lot of flavors in beer, but especially sour beer. Hmm. Yeah, it's like it's a beautiful pair with hops, with, with contemporary American hops, with bread. Yeah, uh, classic mm-hmm. bread as well as like just acidity. They all play super well together. And I, yeah, within our kind of total barrel float, I think we probably have gin barrels from three or four different distillers. And I don't, I think that's probably pretty, pretty rare. Um, but that is something that we're lucky to just have access to because there's organ drinkers will buy barrel aged gins. And so the distillers make it for, for them yeah. and then we get the barrel. It's great. Really, yeah. really wonderful setup. And the gin Pinot Noir combination just seems to be a good one to me. Oh, but yeah. maybe that's personal preference because I love yeah. both of those beverages. Totally. <laughs> Do you guys find, I mean, I think, Moscow, you said that, like, you don't find it to be, like, first, like, pass, you didn't get a ton of gin. Is it because, the, like, the classic juniper isn't really, like, super dominant? Yeah. I mean, it is now that you say it, but I, I guess my palate was misreading it for hops. Because I yeah. just it, it just I got the hop character first or, or the residual what's left of it and then my my palate just thought hops I didn't actually read the label carefully like a, the super detail oriented broadcaster that I am <laughs> and I just kind of started drinking it and thought it was just a I didn't even realize it was gin barrel it just tasted like a dry hopped sour beer yeah so, it's interesting because I feel like when I taste when I've had gin barrel beers whether they're sour or not elsewhere in the country outside of the Northwest oftentimes. Uh, just because of the distillers who are doing oak-aged gins there, they tend to be a lot more juniper-forward. Um, mm-hmm. And that's actually one thing that I think we've got knocked on over time on is people don't immediately recognize it as, as gin until you kind of point it out for them. Totally. Interesting. Yeah, but, you know, the the ideal, it's tough because sometimes you try to use ingredients that are best when subtle. But in, in craft beer, you know, often the you know you're at a bottle share or something like that, and the dominant flavor... You know, we'll win the day, kind of thing. Sure. So, people, okay. you know, you get a lot of feedback on prominent, pronounced flavors when you know that's not always needed or prudent in every case, I guess. But it's it's very well integrated into this beer, 
want to get into more of your sour program, but uh, let's take a, a quick break. But before we do, Scott, maybe yes, we'll sir. thank another sponsor. Let's do it. I want to thank the Wine and Hop Shop. Can't thank them enough. Wineandhop.com. It's where you get your sour beer, wild yeast, and bacteria from our friends over at Omega Yeast and Gig Yeast. We've used a lot of their stuff at the Rare Barrel. Uh, most items are going to ship within 24 hours. And best of all, BN listeners in the continental United States get a flat $8 shipping rate on orders under 25 pounds. Mm-hmm. I have not updated that on here. <laughs> <laughs> Just enter BN shipping in the notes field of the shopping cart, and the discount will be taken off after checkout. The Wine and Hop Shop. Wine and Hop. Dot com. Dot com. I haven't gotten enough credit for becoming much greater at reading that. At the end, much greater. Well, you know why? Because it sounds massively greater. It sounds so natural now that people don't even think to give you credit because it's just it's just what you do. The wine and hop shop, wineandhop.com. Yeah, like that. It's just it's so easy. Easy. Wineandhopshop.net. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Thank you. Okay. Yes. Okay. Bevo. Bevo. Please. Please. (laughs) 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 Good to have you back, Bevo. Yeah. Nice to see you, Bevo. Uh, let's take a break and then get into more great beer and great sour beer conversation with Ben from Breakside. We'll be right back on the Sour Hour. Since the first time the Brewing Network microphones turned on, more beer was behind it. More beer sponsors the programming on the BN because, like you, they love brewing. And like the Brewing Network, they love sharing their knowledge. Morebeer.com isn't just a website to place your next equipment or ingredient order. Morebeer.com also gives you access to free beer information that will make you a better brewer. Go to morebeer.com and click into the Learning Center. You'll find podcasts, technical facts, video tutorials, and more, including access to The Buzz, More Beer's social network of more than 5,000 members. And some of them might even be crazier about beer than you are. Get over to morebeer.com today and take advantage of The Buzz, The Forum, The Learning Center, and make sure you're signed up to receive the newest More Beer catalog. More Beer, bringing you absolutely everything for beer making. Yolks. Berkshire's egg yolk. <laughs> We're back on the sour. What dad yolks? You know what? Oh, Bad land. Yes. I should have left the uh, the mics uh, hot during the break because like, we keep saying we're going to sneak an Easter oh, egg into the, a break. Uh, yeah, do the like off air chat. Yeah, this stuff. would have been a good one. Yeah. Damn. Well, they're all good. Yeah, all, no, they they're are. all okay. great for sure. We're great. We're back. <laughs> <laughs> we're back on the sour hour. Should we leave ourselves a five star review? Yeah, I think so. Jay's I, I got my staff to do one so. from Jay. Yeah. Speaking of great, I want to thank a couple of our great sponsors. Or actually, I'm just going to thank one and then save one for later. Deal with it. That's a tease. Because, yeah, well. <laughs> uh, we got Breakside on tonight. Speaking of Oregon, Oregon fruit products. They got aseptic purees that are easy to use, convenient to store with no additives or artificial flavors. It's simply great expression of the raw fruit. They love working with brewers to help us innovate. Check them out at fruitforbrewing.com. Oregon fruit, they bring fruit to life. They also bring the session to life. That's right. Beaver, I saw they, that. They did the session, a, a, what, like a week or two ago, right? 
two weeks two ago. Weeks. How but, was that? Good times. Thumbs up. Yeah. Thumbs up. I think I, I think I saw some um, like fruit additions being injected into glassware on the on the studio desk or something, right? Yeah, actually, oh, it was cool. really. I hate to say it like this, but it was a much cooler show than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> it sounds awful, I know. Low but expectations, you know what I mean. OFP. But no, the uh, Chris. He, forgive me, his name. Chris. Chris. Yes. No, he came, he brought beer, he brought these giant cellophane bags, and I'm familiar with cellophane bags because that's what I drink my wine out of, <laughs> but um, these, of, of fruit uh, extract, and we were just mixing things in the studio and fruit. making our own concoctions. It was awesome. Puree. Purees. Aseptic purees. Puree. Uh, did they change their name? Because on the show, on the session, like, on the show title, it was like, Oregon Specialty Fruit. Oh, I, I think, like I think that's the company name. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I think they have like a few different uh, divisions or something. Right? I had a yeah, little it's a big company. anxiety because I've I been saying it wrong this whole time. Or? Oh no, you haven't. And <laughs> no, you're fine. I shouldn't say it's a big company. I don't think it's big. I think they just have no. a few different divisions and they've been around for a long time. Well, yeah, and then you know they made the uh, like the the pie fruit. We, we had them yeah. on the show, and it was, a, it was a really interesting story actually. How they transitioned from like, hey, we're doing pie fillings to now, yeah, yeah beverage, for, yeah, and breweries, yeah. Uh, Really, really like this stuff, and now that's exploding for them. So. Indeed, and actually, it was it. So we had Chris Sarles on this show, the, mm-hmm. the CEO. It was a different, the other Chris, the other Chris. Uh, did the session. So it was Chris and Chris over there. But in any case, their stuff is awesome. It gets better and better all the time. And thanks everybody that's using them and keep it up. Speaking of getting better and better all the time, his name's Ben. He's the head of Breakside. Are you still there, Ben? Oh, yeah, I'm here, guys. Okay. <laughs> well, no, Ben's good. Ben, Ben's been keeping his mic muted because he knows he's a smart guy. He knows that this pot is my um, my yeah. other pot for stuff, which has come back to bite me in the past. So he's good on his his <laughs> mic muting. So that's awesome. So we have pause open now. The next beer in line. Uh, only pause. Scott. Only yeah. Scott has yeah. it though. Oh, I do. Oh, sorry. Sorry, guys. Here. All right, coming up. So uh, for, before we get into pause, which is P A U S E, in case you were wondering out there. Uh, P-A-W-S. Was did, the, you, did I say that right? P-A-W, oh, yeah, P-A-W-S. <laughs> which it totally could be. When it I, could be. charity here that we do as well. You know, it's for the uh, Humane Society. Nice, <laughs> yeah. And it's um, appropriate. When I was talking to Ben before the show, uh, his dog was, uh, wimp- was like whimpering or was making weird noises. Were we in the car with you? What kind of dog you got there, Ben? I have a, I have a little Shiba Inu. He's really wonderful. His name is Paco. Uh, and, yeah. I miss him already. No, I'm not. Danica's not him right now. flipping out over Danica here. Danica has know, just you know this is starting throwing things around the room. Oh, she wants one. Oh no, <laughs> she wants your dog. So lock the doors. <laughs> talk after the show because they're really great and a handful. Like I literally can't have him around other dogs. He attacked. He attacks puppies. <laughs> you gotta show him his yeah, boss. Here's the images, Jay. Oh, this, that's this a, a Shiba Inu. That's a good looking dog. So wait, is the fact that he attacks puppies a that's a positive for the breed? No, no. I mean, I, sorry if if, it, if I was suggesting that or anything in my tone didn't know. That's not what I meant at all. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, he's great. He attacks puppies. <laughs> Get those oh, damn puppies away from me. Like, can't be. They're so territorial. Oh. You. They can't. Um, they're solo dogs, is what I'm getting at, gotcha. and they're really wonderful with humans. But yeah, if you're like you want them to be, if you want like a social dog that you can take to the dog park, this mm. is not. Okay. That's how uh, my girlfriend Molly's dog is, the Boston Terrier. Oh, George, God. Yeah, oh. just hates dogs. I've had that experiences yeah. with Boston Terriers yeah. as a general rule. Great dog, though. Mm. All right. Well, thanks for coming on, Ben. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah we'll yeah, talk about dogs you. next. Good show. <laughs> great. Yeah. Dogs attacking puppies and gin barrel advice. Um, no, but uh, we've got we've got paws open, and we want to hear about that. But also, uh, Scott was telling me that 
And I just have to ask about this. This beer came to us, and thank you for sending beer. I don't mean to sound ungrateful, but I do have questions. It came unlabeled with a label. Yes. On the backing in the box. Why? I'm just. Yeah. Why did you do that? It's uh, that's our rogue marketing approach, guys. <laughs> How we every, every bottle of breaks that IPA gets shipped that way too. Uh, no, this beer has not been released yet. It's uh, mm. a brand new. It's the next release in the B side series. It's been in bottles now for a couple months, and we, you know, we've seen it go through the kind of normal life cycle that I think a lot of barrel aged uh, bottle conditioned beers do. And in this case, uh, yeah, we're about to release it at our pubs and uh, tap room in the next couple of weeks, but. We don't have labels in-house yet, so that's one of the reasons it also hasn't been released. But it is a—the next B-side is called Pause for Effect. It's a blended—it's about a blend of, like, uh, five or six casts, so about ten barrels in volume total. It's relatively small uh, for us, and it's a—it's uh, it's aged on Oregon-grown apricots from Baird Family Farms. Very nice. How's it working with— like an individual farm on a on a project like this, do you guys enjoy that process? Is it difficult, or what? what like for the other brewers out there who who want to do something like that, what do you think uh, is some good advice when they want to approach a beer like this? For me, I I love working with Trevor there. He works with Upright. He works with the Guard. So he's got breweries in his wheelhouse. He know he's talking with brewers. He knows what brewers are interested in. He has a sense of what types of fruit and at what he at kind of what level of brightness people want whole fruit and is able to deliver on that and you know fortunately i think this is that beer is about a pound of fruit per gallon uh post barreling so it's in the blending tank afterwards and it's uh i i think that you know he just delivers really wonderful stone fruit we've used peaches from him the next beer you'll have dog and pony show is uh is is all bear grown peaches let me ask this about uh, ranges of fruit per gallon. I don't know how fine a point we've put on it, but what, what is the range, do you think, guys, like between you would never put less than X pounds per gallon, otherwise you'll never even know it's there, or I would never put more than X pounds per gallon because it would be too overwhelming or too expensive or whatever. Pound per gallon seems, I mean, this beer is, it has that character, but it's not like an explosion of fruit flavor like some fruited sours I've had. You know what I mean? What's, what's mm-hmm. the range? What do you think, Ben? I think it really varies on the fruit, you know, and it also what the effect you're trying to go for. But if you're talking about that kind of pie-filling intensity, I mean, talking with, say, the folks at Black Project, you know, talk with James and Sarah there, they'll use three, four pounds per gallon. You know, they'll go on that. That's the upper level that I've heard from anyone. I don't know anyone who's using more than that. Do you, Jay? I do know people who are using really? more than, <laughs> more than <laughs> four pounds a gallon. Wow! But you know, it is uh, interesting that you brought up, brought up uh, James and Sarah over there. Black Project. When James came on the show, he, joining us from China, as you may recall, Scott. Yes. You know, we got into this uh, the series of beers that he has, which is the Mock Limit. It's he went. I think I believe is forty nine percent of the fermentables were from either different fruits or maybe it was just wine grapes. I think what we had was a wine grape beer. And it's, it, you know, I, I like that because it's kind of just saying, here's the most you can do, and here's what's the, what that is like. So certainly, I think people go, people reach the top end. If you're a home brewer, I don't, you know, there's there's no limits to to what you're doing. And on the the low end of things, um, you know, I think it depends on what your base beer is like. Mm-hmm. I think we uh, established with um, with the last beer that we had with the the gin barrels and the hops that the gin character 
and and, uh, and to a certain extent the Brett character in that beer, you know, kind of sustains longer and will provide the backbone of maybe more of a volatile flavor of the hops. And, um, you know, if you want to let the base beer kind of shine through, then you can't muddy the water with a whole bunch of fruit. So it, it sort of just depends, like, to, to Ben's point, what you're going for. Um, you know, we did a beer called Fields Forever, which was a, a red sour with strawberries. And I always thought of strawberries as kind of a a weak fruit, not mm-hmm. not to talk crap on strawberries. I like them. <laughs> but, uh, you know, they're... There's a bunch of water in there, and they taste great. But to get that same flavor of like tasting a fresh strawberry in a beer, you got to use a whole lot. So, but we actually didn't. We we probably fruited at uh, a rate similar to this uh, pause for effect. But we built a base beer, or we actually just we did build a base beer to be very fruity. But then it developed character that we felt was very supportive of a strawberry beer, and we didn't think we had to go overboard basically when it came to uh adding the strawberries to the beer which is a lot of a lot of the fun of sour beer because you can just drive so many awesome fruity flavors through fermentation and so you don't necessarily like need to overfruit something but back to our point from the last time you sometimes the most outspoken consumers want to be smacked in the face Mm -hmm. so sometimes you make beers like that and sometimes you make beers that are more subtle and you just dial it up and and dial it down well let me add to that too you know the first beat uh rare barrel just celebrated its fourth anniversary happy anniversary jay went down to uh that party a couple weeks ago and the first beer you know you guys know how to do it right you had a tent set up at the entrance so you could get a beer before you even went inside and Mm -hmm. the beer that i had from that tent was fields forever i believe it was 14 fields forever it was a vintage version. It's the only time we've ever met it. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Okay, so it was th- three years old plus, and uh, I remember being blown away by how much strawberry character was still in there, and I think I, I ran you down uh, mm-hmm. right when I got into the party and tugged on your shirt sleeve and mentioned how uh, pronou- I couldn't believe how uh, pronounced that fruit character still was because I thought it would have just dropped out like hops by now, But you and you made that point like, well, mm-hmm. the, it's because of that backbone, that pre-fruit backbone was yeah. strawberry-like to begin with, which is why this became a strawberry-fruited beer, so this strawberry still seems really bright you know all this time later yeah definitely and i think that's that's one of the best assets that a you know a sour beer maker has been when you so going through your process a little bit when you you know approached a beer like this do you have it kind of predetermined that you know hey these barrels are going to become uh an apricot beer or you know what, what what's your what's your basic you know kind of beer making method when you have all this base beer out there how do you decide what to do with it that's a. I think what we like to start with is we start with a goal in mind in terms of when we go to the blending table and we'll pull from you know we have a we'll often kind of pre-select so let's say that we have you know we've decided that we're gonna we're looking for a project that's gonna fit with apricots for example like we did with Pause for Effect and we'll look at you know through our notes on barrels that we have that we think are mature and a good position to be blended in and we'll take a random sampling of those barrels uh, and maybe generate a giant list of them and then we'll end up tasting through a bunch, kind of creating a, a base blend and then we'll try, well actually once we've created that base blend, that master blend, we will go and pull from the similar barrels that were not in the original version just to make sure there's some sort of typicity there that we don't have some rogue barrels that taste really different that throw undesirable characteristics. So we sort of build a base beer 
from barrels up to a bigger blend, and then the fruit goes on that. Um, or in the case of a small blend, we'll just find five barrels, four barrels that we really like, blend those together and build there. But what you guys are talking about in terms of kind of building to the fruit, I think is a really important characteristic. So what you're doing is amplifying flavor, right? If you're making a strawberry sour, you want some sort of assonance in your base blend that's gonna amplify that rather than tamp it down, um, especially on fruits that are difficult to, to get to pop like strawberries. So yeah, we have that in mind, you know, we'll say, okay, we know what nectarines do, or we know what peaches do, or we know what these bared apricots do, and we want to play to that, and that just kind of informs all of our discussion at the at the blending table. Awesome, yeah, I think that's an excellent approach, and you know, it's definitely reflected in the in the final product and in this beer and the one we just had. Uh, we're lucky enough to have a few more beers from you, but. Before we get yes. to those, I want to take a, a show break. If you can hang on with us for a little while, Ben, uh, hopefully we're not keeping you from anything. I'm hanging out, guys. I'm 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 learning from you right now. Awesome. I'm all sorts of stuff tonight. <laughs> all about cats. Yep. <laughs> cats. Yeah. I told you about Shiba's. You told me about cats. It's perfect. Awesome. Uh, actually, I'm not going to break yet, Scott. Oh, okay. <laughs> Fool me I'm once. Just, I'm teasing it out. Okay. Um, <laughs> You know, I'll do my I'll do I'll do my my rodeo. Oh, okay, you, you, you've gotten good at just you know blowing past that, and just <laughs> you know, you know when I want to do that. But actually, we we still need to do a question, and I want to keep Ben on for uh, that. Gotcha. So, okay, and also mention that questions are brought to you, our great listeners, by the Sour Beer Blog, sourbeerblog dot com, the longest running sponsor of the Sour, our great friend Matt, Doctor Lambic. Now they're opening a sour and farmhouse brewery you may have heard in central Pennsylvania. Help them get started. Join the Founders Club. If you haven't, and you know who you are, <laughs> join it. It includes eight exclusive bottles of club-only aged and blended sour beer, early access to all their public bottle releases. That's a big benefit. A hooded sweatshirt. Did we, did we con confirm the zip, Mike? Uh, yeah, I got, a, I got a short email from Dr. Uh, to read here. Zipped hooded sweatshirt, pair of tasting glasses, club growler, and the infamous slash famous metal challenge coin. Not to mention discounts and much more to learn more and join the Founders Club. Visit their website at Mellow Mink Brewing. Sorry. Check out <laughs> Mellow Mink Brewing yeah. at mellowmink.com. Danica, I was just saying how good I am at the wine and hop shop one, and now I messed up Sour you Beer Blog. Sourbeerblog.com, mellowmink.com, mellowmink.brewing, Dr. Landick. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's your, yeah you it's always good to get one. New Year's resolution. You know, we're coming up. Yeah. So, uh, so uh, quickly, uh, Dr. Lambic did uh, fill us in a little bit here via email. He says, we're alive and well over here in central Pennsylvania. <laughs> Things are going well with the brewery development, and uh, we are, uh, as of now, on track for opening early spring 2018. So uh, as of this recording, we're still probably a couple of few months out, according to the doctor, which probably means fall of 2019. Uh, we are halfway <laughs> to our goal, halfway to our goal of Founders Club membership. So uh, they, oh. they still have some spaces there. He says, we should be uh, breaking ground on construction in uh, October and November, so right around as of this recording. Hopefully, they're already started. He said, after taking a six-month break from writing articles for Sour Peer Blog, I do plan to start putting up new content soon, and uh, he's going to come on the show again. And he says, uh, our plan was to order uh, zippies. They are zippies <laughs> confirmed in writing here from the doctor himself. Excellent. You guys, you know, we really appreciate you guys listening and downloading the show and helping us with reviews and stuff like that. But certainly uh, what keeps the lights on is, is helping out our sponsors and supporting them. So, you know, make sure to visit these websites. And if you end up uh, 
you know, spending your hard-earned money on something, just, you know, send them a note. Thanks for sponsoring the Sour Hour with uh, Sour Beer Blog included. Go visit that site. A lot of good info and support Mellow Mink Brewing. Yes, indeed. Okay, so you want to do a, a question here. Ben, you help us out with questions? Yes. Okay, cool. So let me read this very quickly before I get to a question. Uh, I'm not going to say who it's from because he wants to remain anonymous. We did bring up Is a it sh- one of my employees? Am I about to get fired? <laughs> <laughs> uh, he says, I'm writing this email while whistling West End Girls to myself. And anyway, Jay's... Okay. No, this is... I'm not going to say who it's from because a, a couple shows ago, uh, I can't remember who it was... I think it was you, Jay, who asked about uh, if anybody had experience distilling sour beer. Maybe a, a listener question. I, I can't remember. Um, yeah, that's something I mentioned. This uh, anonymous writes in, he says, I may or may not have experience distilling sour beer. Depending on your setup, you may or may (laughs) not extract anything from it. On what I may or may not have could be a fractioning column and may or may not have run straight up infected pellicle-ridden nastiness through it. It may have been clean 183-proof ethanol on the other end. Uh, If it was more of a traditional pot still, then the flavors would come through, but there is no proof that I know this or could send you samples. (laughs) Uh, Thank you for the email, Anonymous. I'll I'll write you off the air. Maybe we can get a a sample of that over here. Awesome. Well, that's great. There's no question. No, I just I wanted to read that because I, <laughs> okay. I, I thought it was interesting. Uh, so uh, if you have infe- in, infected pellicle-ridden nastiness and you wish to make some uh, 183 proof ethanol, you, you can't may do or may anything. Not, yeah, you, you can't, can't do anything about so it because it's it. illegal. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay, this is from Jeff McGrath. Jeff says, uh, "Hey, Moscow, you don't have to read all this on the air. Sorry, Jeff, I'm going to just wanted to say the information uh, the Brewing Network has shared over the last 10 plus years has been absolutely invaluable to my progress as a brewer. Uh, I've learned uh, so much on a wide range of brewing topics, all while at work. Thank fuck for pod." Casts and headphones. It has helped me win champion amateur brewer of Western Australia four times in five years and champion amateur brewer of Australia in 2015. Keep up the good work. Good on you. uh, Yeah, good on you, Jeff. Keep it up, man. It sounds uh, like you're killing it over there. He says, now for the question... When you have a brewery guest that has a sizable barrel collection, can you uh, and Jay talk about how they are tackling notes for so many barrels Mm. and batches? Is everyone just using massive spreadsheets? Well, Ben, what do you use? We're spreadsheets, yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, we actually had a discussion today at the brewery about how we need to kind of uh, improve this system. So <laughs> I don't know that I have a good answer for anyone on that front. But uh, we, yeah, we basically track every set of uh, kind of base work together. That's how it, it all gets assigned in different tabs in a spreadsheet. And then as we create blends, those individual lines get pulled into that. That's the uh, the way we, we track it. Yeah, it's pretty similar to what we do. Um, we take a lot of readings. Um, we probably do monthly readings on basically every kind of similar group of barrels um, to know their how their pH and gravity are tracking. Kind of gives us a quick shoot look at, uh, you know, just what beers are kind of towards the end of their fermentation where it's slowing down and if anything's getting crazy sour or if we need something with a little bit of acidity to contribute to a blend kind of helps us know where to look amongst you know several hundred oak barrels um we also use a uh, software program called barrel dash it or barrel it that's been great that kind of i guess mechanizes it it's like a you, you type a few things in and then it records like a ton of information where you don't have to manually keep track of it all so um it has it can have a complete history of all racking and stuff like that 
We're also required to keep a daily report of um, any movement of beer and packaging and stuff like that from the the TTB's perspective. So we have a lot of data entry on that that um, we can actually use to our own utility. But uh, paperwork and record keeping, it's quite a bit, especially with what we're doing at the Rare Barrel where we're not really maintaining a single house culture and repitching it and kind of going for consistency we're actually doing quite the opposite we're using many different strains and treating them as differently as possible i think of references before to try and have basically lightning strike um you want to know when lightning does strike and you get an awesome single oak barrel and it's wonderful Ooh. And might, have, might have fallen down. <laughs> I think did did he just quantum physics into another dimension? It sounded like it. Remember Quantum Leap? Yes, that was a good show. I do. Yeah. Oh, Beeve! Beeve woke up back there. She yeah, Quantum Leap is really good. <laughs> really good. Yeah, yeah. Oh, a lot of, Andrew, a lot of Quantum Leap support too. Man, everyone loves that show. <laughs> what was I talking about? Oh, Thunderstrike. Uh, <laughs> um. Yeah, so you want to know when you get that amazing barrel, it's not just random, you know? You want to know, see so what did you do with primary fermentation? What was the temperature control like? Uh, how did it attenuate? Then did you inoculate it with something in the barrel? Was the barrel, what were the barrel's previous contents? We do sensory notes every month as well. So how did these flavors develop over time? So that if you do something well, you want to be able to replicate it. So. And it's all it's spreadsheets and this brewery IT program, just those two things. Yeah, and you know, and our own brains and palates. It's, yeah. it's it's quite a bit. Stefan, our inventory barrel manager, keeps a lot of it in his head. Also, so mm-hmm. uh, actually, his job title spells IBM. <laughs> and <laughs> inventory he is kind of like management? yeah, the computer of our brewery. Yeah, so gotcha. you ask him where something is or how it's tasting, he'll let you know. But it's 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 critical. Ben, how many how many barrels uh, ish you got in your cellar? Did we lose him? Well, let's tease he it should, out. He should be there. Yeah, we'll tease he it. He dimension jumped. You guys got <laughs> me? Yeah, oh, yeah. We do, but wait, wait, wait. Don't, don't answer that. We'll, we'll do it on the next show. You yeah. were in another dimension for a second. <laughs> <laughs> right. We should get some quantum leap music for the next show. <laughs> okay, I will. I'll get some. Okay. Now, Scott. Yeah, okay. Now's the time. Finally. Okay, finally. <laughs> All right. Big things to bid in. Bit, wow. Ben Edmonds. I knew I was going <laughs> to... It's not that hard of a name to say, but... It isn't. Thanks, Ben. It's 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 tough for me. Thanks, guys. <laughs> for sure. Uh, Breakside Brewery, great beers. We'll taste some more in the next uh, show. Thanks to our sponsors. Thanks to all you listening out there. Remember to support our sponsors and subscribe to the show. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Bevo. Thank you, Danica. Until next time, stay sour. My body, it's both alive and dead at the same time.